Hi Leah, again this is for you. I'm reading The Bisayan by Sophronio B. Orsal. No copyright infringement intended. I'm doing this for my daughter's academics so that she will be able to appreciate this body of work more. And to anyone who is listening in, thank you and you're welcome. Uh, you're welcome to enjoy this body of work with us. If there is any background noise, I'm sorry. I'm just casually recording this at home. Is your child having a hard time understanding literature? I hope to be able to help. By reading it out to him, I hope it becomes relatable, understandable, and more raw and real. Discover amazing worlds of classical literature with me. Chapter 14 Burning of Buaya The Spanish soldiers who were sent to check if the baptized natives had burned their idols reported back that all villages had been cooperative except for one. The villages within the Rajanit, which rendered obedience and gave food and tribute, included the flourishing village of Mandawi with its chief Lambuzan, the village of Kotkot and its chief Asebagalan, the village of Puzo and its chief Apanoaan, the village of Lalan and its chief Teteu, the village of Lalutan and its chief Tapan, and the villages of Silumai and Lubukun. It was in the village of Buaya in the island of Mactan where the Spaniards reported that they found the people defiant, even contemptuous, when asked to burn their idols, accept Christianity, and give the required tribute. The refusal of the people of Buaya to render tribute was not surprising. The island of Mactan, with a cluster of villages of its own, was a suzerainty of the Rajanit of Sugbo since its founding. However, compared to the villages in mainland Sugbo, those in Mactan exercised a much wider form of internal autonomy, with villages assuming the character of a loose confederation of tribal groups, each headed by a village chief. While maintaining its vassal status with the more powerful Rajanit of Sugbo, Mactan's northern villages had been gradually estranged from the former with its growing economy and rising military strength under the unifying leadership of Datu Lapu-Lapu and before him his late father, Datu Kuzgano. Magellan had been hearing about the insubordination of Mactan from Raja Humabon himself and the report about the refusal of the people of Buaya to give tribute incensed him no end and so fuming with anger Magellan ordered an armed contingent to be sent immediately to the village of Buaya with instructions to ask the people to burn their idols and give tribute, and if they refused to burn their houses as a lesson to the heathens that they could not defy Christianity. Okay, the way we do our school is, every time I read a passage to them, they will have to narrate back to me what they remember about the passage so leah i pause here now and can you narrate back to me what i just read to you it will be recalled that several days earlier after lapu lapu walked out in disappointment from his meeting with raha siagu and datu Columbu in limasawa he sailed post haste to mactan island 
He immediately convened the Council of Leaders in order to report the presence in the Bisayan waters of the foreign fleet, which were similar to the Portuguese armada that sacked the port of Malacca. From his experience as mercenary in Malacca, he said that he feared that a similar fate awaited the Bisayan Islands, particularly the port of Sugbo. In fact, although Lapu-Lapu's relationship with Rahahumabon was already strained at the time, he nevertheless sent his trusted lieutenant to convey the message to the Raha of the danger posed by the presence of the fleet. Humabon responded with a wait-and-see attitude, informing the Maktan chief through the courier that his course of action would depend on the actual events as they unfolded. Alright, can you narrate? Press pause here. Maktan's council of leaders was equally indecisive, claiming that since it was the Rahanate of Sugbo, which could be the target of a possible assault, not their tiny island, without any trading port or wealth to be plundered, it would be advisable to wait for the moves of the Rahanate when the time came. Nevertheless, the council agreed with Lapu-Lapu that there was urgent need to strengthen the island's defenses, particularly those of the coastal villages of Ibo and Pusok, which were the most possible points of invasion, considering their proximity to where the Spanish Armada was anchored. Thus, an edict was issued requiring all able-bodied villagers not only of the villages of Ibo and Pusok, but also from, the, from all the northern villages of Magdan to render voluntary labor in gathering stones from the seashore to build an improvised defensive beach border stretching from the shoreline of Ibo, extending southwards to the village of Busok. Large stones were piled waist-high, one on top of the other, while sharpened wooden stakes, alternated with dugout pit traps, were planted on the coastlines all the way from Ibo to Busok. Almost everybody was convinced that if there would be an invasion, it would logically be launched on the coastal villages of Ibo and Busok, being bounded with deeper waters and provided with good anchorage. The council also approved the plan of Lapu-Lapu to alert the neighboring islands, which were allies of Magdan, concerning the emergency post by the presence of the alien fleet, and to propose a common defense in case of armed conflict, using Magdan as base, and to which they could send warriors to augment the standing force. After Lapu-Lapu had left for the neighboring islands on April 9, 1521, and a few days after the Spanish Armada arrived at the port of Sugbo, an informant apprised the Mactan Council of Leaders that Raja Humabon had formed friendly alliances with the Captain General of the Foreign Fleet. The move was reportedly taken after Humabon was convinced that the fleet had no intention to sack any of the region's trading ports that it had only lost its way and was just replenishing provisions before continuing with its journey to the Spice Islands. Later, Raha Humabon had issued orders to all village chiefs within the Rajanate to be friendly with the foreigners, to show their cooperation and render obedience if required, so as not to antagonize the aliens who were vastly superior in armaments than the combined forces of the islands in the region. With the foregoing events as background, and even before the hurriedly improvised defensive beach border guard could be finished, an unexpected event occurred. Early in the morning of April 16, 1521, 
the people of the village of Buaya were caught completely unprepared when Magellan's armed contingent landed on its shores instead of at Ibo or Pusok. What the Spanish soldiers found were with the foregoing events as background and even before the hurriedly improvised defensive beach border guard could be finished an unexpected event occurred early in the morning of april 16 1521 the people of the village of buaya were caught completely unprepared when magellan's armed contingent landed on its shores instead of at ibo or pusok what the spanish soldiers found were village women folk and children foraging for shellfish mollusks and crustaceans in the shorelines of Buaya, not finding any warrior in sight. The armed group immediately herded the startled women in the village square. The leader of the contingent asked by sign language where the, where the tribal chief was, and one of the women answered that their village chief, Mangtaunas, was with Lapu-Lapu together with the other village chiefs in the neighboring island of Leyte. The Spaniard felt that the woman was lying, and this enraged him. He then ordered the women to get all the idols they kept in their houses and to bring them to the village square to be burned. The frightened women started to panic, and instead of, of heading for their houses in the row of stilt-thatched houses along the coast, they scampered to hide in the dense thickets of tall shrubs and bushes in the vicinity. The Castilian leader became more furious, and some of his men ran after the women who were heard screaming from the thick undergrowth after being caught, some raped by their pursuers. Fuming mad, the head of the contingent ordered all houses of the village of Buaya to be burned. Immediately, his men began torching several houses, and soon the entire village was ablaze. After tarrying for a while to watch the leaping flames consume the row of houses made of light materials, the raiding party left. Upon learning of the burning of Buaya, the warriors manning the defenses of the coastal villages of Ibo and Busok rushed to the scene, but the armed contingent had already left in their boats. At about the time that the houses in the village of Buaya was in flames, and its women still grieving from the abuses of Magellan's men, Lapu-Lapu and some tribal chiefs had just left Bohol Island on their way back to Mactan after recruiting, recruiting warriors unaware of the terrible events that had happened. Earlier on April 9, 1521, Lapu-Lapu, in the company with some tribal chiefs and hand-picked warriors, had sailed in three balangays and three caracoas for the neighboring islands to implement what had been decided by the council of leaders, which was to alert the inhabitants of the presence of the foreign fleet that threatened the Bisayan region, and to recruit warriors from neighboring island allies for a common defense to be based in Mactan. First stop was Lapu-Lapu's provincial abode in the coastal village of Bagasumbol in the island of Biliran. He immediately contacted his allies throughout the islands and succeeded in recruiting 60 warriors. From Biliran Island, Lapu-Lapu's party proceeded to Kangara, a flourishing village north of Leyte Island where he met with its leader Apgara, a descendant of the village founder Gara from Borneo.
He discussed the danger posed by the foreign fleet in Visayan waters and convinced the village chief to send 30 warriors for the common defense of the region. From Kangara, he went to the west coast of Leyte to the village of Ilong, where he met with, with his close ally Datu Magahong. After discussing the matter, the tribal chieftain readily pledged to send 50 warriors. Lapu-Lapu and his party then sailed towards the island of Bohol where his Balangais and Karakoas landed in the village of Talibon, an affluent kingdom ruled by his friend and ally, Datu Tamblot, who pledged to send 100 warriors. 100 warriors. From Talibon, Lapu-Lapu proceeded to the village of Dungoan where he met with his other friend, Datu Madag, who agreed to send 20 warriors after hearing of the threat to the region and the plan for a common defense. From the island of Bohol, Lapu-Lapu sailed back to Magtan, passing by the village of Magagaygay. From the island of Bohol, Lapu-Lapu sailed back to Magtan, passing by the village of Magagayay. Uh, uh, from the village of Bohol, Lapu-Lapu sailed back to Magtan, passing by the village of Magagayay in the Camaras Island, to request for assistance from his friend, tribal chief Mandayang, who willingly dispatched 30 warriors to augment the defense of Mactan. Upon his arrival in Camotes Island late in the afternoon on April 20, 1521, Lapu-Lapu was met by Chief Bugto Pasan of Tomoy, the village adjacent to the villages of to the village of Mactan, to break the news of the burning of Buaya three days earlier. Bugto Pasan narrated to him that the defensive beach border from Ibo to Pusok was already in place, but that the attacking Spaniards landed in the village of Buaya instead. Lapu-Lapu then asked, why did they choose Buaya when it is far from their ship's cannon range, and its seas too shallow for their ships to anchor? Bugto Pasan answered, the Spanish fleet did not sail to Buaya waters, but remained in Sugpo's Sawang port. Only two boatloads of armed men were sent after it was earlier reported to Magellan that the people of Boaya refused to burn their idols and were contemptuous of Christianity that he was propagating. How many Spaniards landed in Boaya and why was it not defended? Where were our warriors? Lapu-Lapu asked. About a dozen fully armed Spanish soldiers landed in Boaya in their longboats. At that time, all available warriors were manning the ramparts of the beaches from Ibo up to Pusok, and only the watch on the treetop was left in Buaya, replied Bugto Pasan. Lapu-Lapu grew mad at the ineptness of the people in charge of the defense of Mactan, then asked, did they kill anybody? How many houses were burned? No, they didn't kill anybody, but they burned down most of the houses in Buaya. They also raped some women that their soldiers caught after they ran into the bushes. Bugtopasan answered, then continued, Not only that, after the burning of Buaya, the captain-general of the Spanish fleet ordered all villages of Mactan to deliver immediately three goats, three pigs, three sacks of rice, and three sacks of millet as tribute for the provisions of his ships. In view of your absence and since the request still needed the approval of the Council of Leaders, we declined to comply. Upon hearing about the rape of the women and the demand for tribute, Lapu-Lapu became furious. 
than shouting at nobody in particular, but probably for the tribal chiefs and all warriors with him to, to hear, he demanded in a loud voice, trembling with rage, if the Spaniards want our people to embrace their beliefs, why do they have to rape our women and burn our villages? Then he added a curse, may Captain, the god of the sky world, avenge them for their evil deeds, and may Sipada, the diabolical, the diabolical goddess, drive them away with her sword of death. When Lapu-Lapu finally calmed down, he directed the men manning the boats carrying over 300 warriors headed for Mactan to avoid the approach of the Mactan-Sugbo channel so as not to be sighted by the Spanish fleet anchored at Sugbo port. Indeed, they were instructed to land on the eastern side of the island. By noon of April 25th, 1521, the northeastern coast of Mactan Island was teeming with Balangais, Caracoas, and an assortment of Vintas and Barotos, carrying in all 300 warriors recruited from the neighboring islands. The larger boats were anchored off the eastern side of the coastal village of Mactan, the tribal base of Lapu-Lapu, while the smaller ones were docked off the coast of the adjoining eastern village of Maribago. The warrior recruits, joined by 200 of Mactan Island's standby defense force, converged in the village of Mactan overlooking Buaya Bay. They set up camp in the nearby village of Buaya, salvaging whatever useful materials they could gather from the burnt houses, which they used as temporary sheds while waiting for orders. Shortly after the men had settled in their bivouac, Lapu-Lapu gathered them in the open field where he talked about the forthcoming battle. Speaking in Bisayan, Lapu-Lapu told the warriors, Comrades, we shall prepare ourselves to battle an enemy different from what we are used to fighting. You must have heard that these white people are impregnable and that our, our Kampilans, Pinute, spears and arrows cannot wound them. But fear not, I have fought them in Malacca and I know that those yarns are not all true. What is true is that they wear metal suits that our blades, spears and arrows cannot penetrate. But those metal suits only protect their bodies, their heads, and the upper parts of their arms and legs. So if they're hit in their unprotected body parts, like the neck, the face, and lower legs and, and arms, they will also bleed and die like us. Next, we have to understand their weapons. Most of their weapons are bladed, principally swords, like ours. They also have crossbows, similar to our bow and arrow. Only theirs are more accurate and effective at greater distances. But they have one weapon that most of you have not seen, and that is the arquebus. An arquebus has a wooden stock with an iron tube at the end that discharges deadly metal projectiles and uses black gunpowder to fire. But the arquebus has disadvantages. Once fired, it would take time to reload and fire again, and if the gunpowder gets wet, it will no longer fire. So to fight the white men, we have to engage them while they are still waiting in the waters, and bring the fight to them in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Remember three things about them. First, in distance fighting, they have the advantage because of the long reach of their arquebuses and crossbows. Second, their metal suits are heavy which make it difficult for them to move around in knee-deep waters. And third, once their gunpowder gets wet, their arquebuses become useless. Our spears, Kampilan, Pinute, Chris, and other pointed blades should be aimed at their unprotected necks, 
faces, lower arms and legs, using the thrust more than the slash. In fact, a powerful blow of our common pestle can bring down these metal-wearing people or even large coral stones hurtled against their metal helmets can likewise knock them down. Lapu-Lapu then divided his men into five divisions, each division composed of a hundred warriors headed by a veteran tribal chief of proven martial arts expertise. Later, he inspected the weapons of the 500 warriors with their assortment of swords, daggers, spears, bows and arrows, shields, and a few blowguns. Popular among bladed weapons were the Ginunting, a Visayan sword shaped like a beak with its tip curved downward, the Kampilan, a heavy single-edged dual-pointed sword, the Pinute, a straight blade 21 inches long, and the famous Monocris, a wavy, double-edged sword. Those armed with palupad or bangkau or spears had either wooden or bamboo shafts, usually two meters long, with metal spearheads, triangular in shape. Some warriors had bow and arrows with serrated metal arrowheads coated with poison and sumpit or blowguns made of bamboo tube for firing poison darts some 20 centimeters long. Besides their weapons, almost all the warriors carried kalasag, or shields for body protection made of corky and fibrous wood, claimed to be sword-proof. Some chief warriors wore barote, a woven thick braided bark cords, worn over padded abaca fabric that extended to the elbows and knees. To protect the head, some wore layered leather from dried shark skin as helmets. Most warriors had barao sidearms or short broad daggers with single-edged leaf-shaped blades sheathed either in animal hide or wood and tied around the waist. After briefing the warriors and having inspected their weapons, Lapu-Lapu convened the Council of Leaders to deliberate over the possible course of action to take now that it had over 500 warriors at its command. However, nobody knew exactly where the Spaniards would strike next or whether they will attack Mactan again at all. While to launch an assault on the vastly superior force of the foreign armada was clearly out of the question. Then Lapu-Lapu thought of a strategy to stage the battle in his own home front by baiting Magellan to attack the village of Buaya. The village was located near the base of the L-shaped elongated landmass adjoining the coast of Mactan village. It faced Buaya Bay, where the shallow seas of the coastal fringes were mired in mud and silt, and surrounded by scattered mangrove bushes and sharp underwater reefs and shoals. Thus, with the consent of the Council of Leaders, Lapu-Lapu dispatched a courier to relay the message to his arch-enemy Zula that it was he, Lapu-Lapu, who urged the Mactan people not to comply with the order of the captain-general to send tribute of food provisions, the order being given by Amir Langyao, or foreigner. He also asked Zula to tell his foreign master that he, Lapu-Lapu, warned him to cease and desist from bullying the village chiefs who refused to burn their idols, for they had a right to worship as they wished. Through Zula, Lapu-Lapu demanded that the Portuguese captain-general back off from the islands as he had no authority to remain, much less meddle, in the local affairs of the people. 
Finally, he challenged Ferdinand Magellan to a showdown right in Lapu-Lapu's own village of Mactan so that he could avenge the burning of the village of Buaya and the rape of its women. Lapu-Lapu was certain that once the message reached Magellan, his widely known haughty, overbearing, and imperious disposition would never allow him to turn down a challenge, especially coming from an ignorant, barefoot heathen clad only in G-strings. The Bisayan by Sophronia B. Orsal Copyright 2015 by Good Governance Books Chapter 15 Battle of Mactan Chapter 15 Battle of Mactan 